Hey friends, I appreciate you tuning into the Deal Farm podcast where I hope you feel at least mildly entertained and possibly even inspired to take big action towards improving your life and your business. On this episode of The Deal Farm, Kevin and I talk with Pete Reese out of Del Mar, California about the amazing land flipping business he's built and in just a few short years. You are definitely going to want to stick around for this one. Kevin, what's cracking, my man? It has been a good week getting back in the office, cranked up after the 4th of July. Yeah, it's such a it's always weird when the 4th of July is on a Tuesday and you're back in the office you're like, what day is it again today? And you're all sort yeah. of out of sync, out of whack, but you get a quick weekend, which is nice. It's yeah, well, it's a short week. It has been a busy week. We've got uh, two new signings, two folks joining Red Barn this week, which makes it for exciting week for us. We've got yep. uh, let's see who's coming in. It's Savannah and Asheville, right? Savannah, Georgia, and Asheville, oh, North Carolina. Yeah, I think yeah. In Lots of good territories getting snapped up, man. Love that. Yeah, love it. And not to be a red barn plug or anything, we surpassed 50. Like we got more than 50 members in the last dozen dozen months, which is huge. And in one year, we're at 50 franchisees and we got people that are just kicking butt and taking names, man. I, I love to see folks having early success. And what was really exciting for me personally is as I made really good progress on the swing set in the backyard. That, That's that, the most that, important thing. That also was pretty great. You know, actually, I think you had given me an assignment to send you some pictures of the chicken coop, and uh, I didn't do it, man. I apologize. Well, well you know, we we we've both got these projects going on right now where we're we're building stuff, and uh, really curious about the chicken coop and, and how you're doing. So when I'm out there working on the swing set, and we're actually slide phase, so the swings are up, loving the swings, made a little fort, put in a slide that was way too steep. And so <laughs> I, I sent Joshua down and went flying across the backyard. So I actually had to uh, redo and change and add some. So that's been fun. And so it made me think, I wonder how the chicken coop's going. Like, how could you mess up a chicken coop and have to sort of revise as you go? Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, we, it's really more been contingent on, you know, I'm trying to do this project with our dad. It's yes. more, it's more about the joint project, less about the chickens and the coop itself. And so I'm sort of working on his timetable. Uh-huh. Um, and so maybe taking uh, a little longer than anticipated. Yeah, maybe a little longer. I mean, we had a holiday in there, so that's understandable. And there's really not that much left. We're so close. It's like the roof and the front door. That's oh, you know, the other thing is is the uh is the roosting coop itself, like where they lay the eggs. We, ha yeah. we have an old one that we need to move to the new chicken coop. The thing weighs maybe a thousand pounds. And well, so yeah, well, don't ask dad to move that, all right? No, he doesn't need help move. And so I, I need to get a bunch of my daughters, like high school friends over here to all chip in and like carry this thing over there. An opportunity That's sort to of the off, right? Get those, they get those young teenage boys and say, hey, you, you really should be able strong enough. And yeah, Naomi's I mean, watching you right now. So come on, show up. Do you want to eat this pizza or not? You got to earn this pizza I just bought for you kids. Do you have to go into the new chicken coop to get the eggs or can is one of those sort of hutches you can do it from the outside? Well, that's what we got to move. So what we're moving is the is the sort of the outside coop that's got the the little doors to it. So you can the access the panel. Yeah, yeah. access panels. Right. Now, do you already have the chickens or are you going to have to stock up once once this because it's the pictures I saw it's big. Like you're doing a big one this time. It's pretty darn big, man. Yeah. I mean, I think we're going to probably have in the five to maybe 10 chicken range in this thing. Okay. Not a ton. And it's right next to Anita's garden. So she, she'll be out there, you know, picking tomatoes, throwing stuff in there for the chickens to eat. Hey, speaking of chickens, and I don't want to get too far off track here. Did you hear, you know, when the eggs were at really, really high prices, had you heard any of this like chicken conspiracy that was going on? Oh, absolutely. 
if there's a good conspiracy theory, I mean, conspiracy theory, count me in. Yeah, I heard a bunch of crazy stuff. All sorts of crazy. How chickens weren't laying eggs. And that was part, you know, of course, you had chicken houses burning down left and right. Like nobody could explain why they're all burning down. Food processing plants, chicken plants. Oh, yeah. Oh, I heard I am. Well, and so our chicken had stopped laying eggs. We have one chicken already that's in the back garden. We call her murder chicken. It's the murder chicken. It's the contrails. Contrails caused all those chickens to stop. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. Something or they were people were saying it was in the feed. There's something in the feed that and they stopped. And so people yeah, were started that. putting posting on Twitter and everything. I took my chicken off the chicken feed and then they started she started laying eggs. And so we we're like, should we try it? Okay, let's so we took her off the chicken feed. Yeah. And just started giving her table scraps and dude like clockwork. She just starts laying eggs. Really? Yes. It and, was and uh, how, did, did it cure her did it cure her gluten intolerance as well? Like it- she's no longer <laughs> gluten intolerant. <laughs> allergic to peanut butter anymore i mean just everything all at once yeah so are you still just sticking with the the table scrap well you want the eggs right so you probably went with the most part yeah it's just chicken she loves it i mean she goes to town on the on the table scraps and she lays eggs like consistently now and they're nice deep like rich orange eggs i mean what chicken doesn't like a little persian rice right i mean i don't know any that wouldn't want persian rice i like it that's pretty phenomenal it's the saffron it's the saffron that they love that makes those orange yolks you know, if you're somebody that wants to uh, raise chickens, you really should be on some land, don't you think? I think so. You know, if you're going to have goats, cows, chickens, any sort of livestock, you want land, right? Land is what you need. You want, But the question is, where do you find land, Kevin? Land is hard to find. Land is just, you know, have you ever looked at the MLS? I mean, stuff, land just sits forever. It's ever. tricky. Yeah. 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 And how do you, I mean... How do you find like the the cheap stuff, like the off market that nobody knows about? Could couldn't you oh. make a business out of that? I mean, it's hard enough to find off market property. Imagine trying to find off market land. If you could do that, man, there's a dollar to be had. Kevin, I got news for you, man. Tell me. I happen to know a gentleman who does this for a living. He sources off off market land all over the country, and is having insane success with it. Oh, I wow. kind of want to bring him onto the show just so you can meet him. Let's do it. Let's make a call. See if we can bring him in right now. All right. Let me call him. I'm texting him right now. Yep. 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 He's interested. He, he says he's going to log in right now. If you want, should we go and talk to him? Yeah. Let's get him in here. This is maybe the most ridiculous intro of all time. I'm bringing him in. (laughs) (laughs) So Pete, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me. Looking forward to this. Yeah. Great having you today. Appreciate you making the time. Yeah. And for those of you who are just listening, you've got to know this guy has the most (laughs) <laughs> amazing background i really wish this was on video well I, I asked if it was even real like we got i was like wait a second is that one of those cool backdrops <laughs> no it's the real background is is him sitting in his house in del mar overlooking the ocean i mean it's an incredible <laughs> view i'm being extremely jealous of you right now panorama mountaintop view of the pacific i'm just waiting for <laughs> whales to, to start breaching in the back maybe some dolphins uh, we haven't seen any whales out here but yeah but <laughs> not that time of year probably yeah <laughs> That's amazing. So, well, um, I guess t- tell us exactly where you're in Del Mar, San Diego, right? Yeah, or- yeah, d- yeah. Del Mar, uh, California, San Diego County. So right, right along the coast here. It's a beautiful spot. Uh, weather's pretty nice year round. Um, a lot of people were complaining that it was very cloudy here this year and and cold and rainy. But you know, I don't buy into that because I'm from Pennsylvania originally. I know what it's like in the winter time, and this winter time here was nothing compared to that. So, <laughs> you know, I've been in San Diego. Isn't there something like called June gloom? Isn't that a thing? Yeah. Yeah. June gloom, May gray. May so, gray and June gloom. Yeah. It seemed to be like the whole half of the uh, full, whole first half of the year. 
but interesting. Yeah, I think we're I think we're getting out of that now. So Those from nice. Pennsylvania know better. It's it's there's nothing gloomy about being on the Pacific. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, every day is a great day here. So if you're wearing shorts in the wintertime, which you can pretty much year round here, it's it's not so bad. Well, tell us, uh, I guess, how did you find your way into into real estate, into land flipping, and then how'd you find your way even in, into California? Yeah, so um, I guess we can start getting into California. After college, I grew I grew up in Pennsylvania, and I went to college in, in Pennsylvania, Shippensburg University. It's like a state school in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I, I thought I wanted to be a financial advisor, so I got a job. Uh, lined up in San Diego. And I was like, with a friend of mine, and we were just like, hey, let's move out there. If we don't like it, we'll just move back. So we drove out here, moved out, um, started, you know, loved it out here. Didn't like the job, you know, being a financial advisor. But uh, so I quickly got out of that after about a year and a half, something like that. But I always had an interest in real estate and uh, started flipping houses in the early 2000s with my wife. So we were doing really well with that. And then I got my broker's license out here as well because I was buying all my deals on the MLS and I was able to get the commission as well with the broker license. I was able to show myself the the properties and just kind of more better access to the deals. And then the market crashed and then I I was like, I'm going to use this license for something. So I decided to be a, an REO listing broker for the banks. Oh yeah. So I that was a number of years of my life right there. And that was a Interesting business, uh, not one I would like to revisit at all. Interesting times, really, but I was yeah. thankful for at the time, you know, I was actually doing uh, pretty well in real estate when a lot of people, a lot of my colleagues and things were really struggling. So I was thankful for that. Yep. Um, and then, you know, with that, I, I got a bunch of great connections with large investment companies that were you know, just buy as many deals as I could find them. So I was kind of just doing that because it, it was pretty, pretty, pretty profitable for me and there was no risk involved. But I always had the itch to get back into the the investing side of things. Uh, took a brief uh, kind of sidetrack, not brief, maybe four or five years sidetrack with my wife, uh, building a business that she had uh, related to online education and blogging and travel blogging, that type of thing. Hmm. So that was a great business, loved it and everything. But I really had the itch to get back into real estate investing. Didn't want to do flips uh, again because I knew how time consuming that was. So I was hmm. kind of looking for a different business model stumbled into some people talking about land flipping and it was kind of cool to me because I saw these anecdotes of like, Hey, I bought this property for 10,000. I sold it for 30,000 and, uh, only held it for 60 days. And I thought that was like amazing. I, you know, I'd love to be doing those kind of deals and just, just a bunch of them. So the business model made sense to me. And then I just went all in on it. That was, um, at the end of 2020 is when I really started, um, researching that and I bought a training program on it and learned everything I could about it. 2021 is when we did our first deal in March of 2021. I ended up that year at about 1.2 million in revenue at uh, almost 50% gross profit margin. So the goal is always to, you know, buy a property for say 20,000 and then sell it for 40. So to double our investment. So I was able to get really close to that, that first year. Uh, the second year, 2022, ended up doing about 3.5 million. Gross profit margin went down a little bit to around 40% or something like that, but still really healthy margins. And then uh, 2023, you know, I'm, I want to do 10 million. Uh, done about 3.2 million so far this year, and we're about uh, done with half the year. But I, I think I can make it happen. So we'll see. Wow. 
that's what you, I mean, that's scaling really fast. <laughs> yeah. That's, I mean, that's the way I am. <laughs> that's amazing. Cause I mean, that's not that, I mean, you're talking 2021 was your first real year at this. Yeah. Yeah. That was the first full year. And well, we sold our first property in March of 2021 with that model. So it wasn't even a full year, you know, kind of. Wow. Um, so you went through a course kind of, you know, said this is, I mean, it's not, it's not right. I mean, I, we yeah. all know the, well, some of the courses that are out there it really isn't rocket science. It's no. really just implementation, right? I mean, that's than- right. You got to learn how to evaluate land. It's different than homes, yeah. different single family homes. But if you really understand what to look for, how to evaluate these properties, then, you know, it's a pretty simple business model. You know, we send out direct mail to generate all of our leads. So we send out direct mail, direct offer letters to people. And then it's just a matter of managing those leads as they come in. You know, sometimes you can put a deal together. Sometimes it's, nothing comes together. But, you know, it's a, it's a numbers game at that point. So a lot of people do the direct mail for, for land. I mean, we've heard that. What, what differentiates yours? You know, if a person's getting you know, two, three different offers, what, what do you think makes yours different coming in the mail? Yeah, there's different approaches. You know, we position ourselves as a professional company that will do what we say we're going to do. We're not going to assign a deal to anyone. We're, we're actually purchasing the property for cash. Uh, so we try to position ourselves as the convenience buyer. You know, which obviously does not work for all situations, but for some people, that's what they're looking for. They don't want to hassle with it. They don't want to list the property with a broker and, you know, wait six, nine, 12 months in order to sell. So we offer them that quick close type solution, cash, and uh, just just hassle free. So that that's our pitch. And I know other investors have, have different pitches. Some investors are looking for seller financing and they try to, you know, give them a higher price. Some investors kind of, try to get an option contract signed and then they remarket it and put it on the market, something like that. So, you know, we're, we're just pretty simple in the way we do things. And, and it's, yeah, simply, simply a numbers game. And, and I, I guess getting it in the hands at the right time, you know, these markets that we like, we're remailing every three months or so. Mm-hmm. So it's just a matter of timing. Sometimes maybe my offer gets in their hands at the right time where they're thinking, you know what, I don't want to pay this property tax bill. I'm sick of it. Mm-hmm. And they give us a call. We work out a deal. That's a good time to send a letter, right? Right. Yeah, that, yeah, right. Come out. They're like, what did my assess that? I, you know, like some of these people have been paying these property taxes for, you know, 10, 20, 30 years, and they haven't even seen that property in the, in that whole time period. It's no, it's no real value to them aside from it's just a thorn in their side. Yeah. So we'll talk about your list then. Uh, so you're doing direct mail. It's a letter, not necessarily a postcard, because you've got, you know, lots of verbiage and messaging in there. Um, who are you sending them to? Who are you targeting? Yeah, we basically we, we do kind of a almost a shotgun approach. I'm just looking at county records and we'll just kind of look at it by property type, you know, so we we sort by vacant land and then we're just looking at the acreage ranges in a particular area. So, you know, we find areas that we like, you know, um certain states, certain counties that have, you know, some good activity going on but aren't aren't too crazy, you know, the crazy markets are are tough to get deals in. Yeah. So, you know, we we look for that right balance. And then we pull these lists and then, you know, we're filtering out the obvious non-sellers could be, you know, owned by a school district or owned by a fortune 500 company or railroad or something like that. So we take out all of those people that are never going to sell to us. Mm -hmm. And then we put on pricing that is basically an average for that particular area. You know, we do a a percentage of retail, you know, it could be 40%, 45% of what what we project to be retail value on that property. And then we'll just mail merge it and and send them all out and see what happens. 
You know, you must have a team of people who are scrubbing this because that's it. Sound there's there's definitely some manual element to this. Yeah, yeah, we do. Uh, you know, I have a I have a couple people that kind of work on the list side of things for me, and they have different roles. But you know, um, one guy is, is pretty much pulling the list and doing some basic scrubbing of the of the list. You know, taking out those non-sellers that we talked about, and then I have some. Uh, another team member kind of doing the the pricing. You know, I'll generally set the pricing. I have, I have someone else that's been starting to help me with that side of things, but it doesn't take me too long to look into these counties and say, okay, this is here's what we should offer in this county and, and things like that. I'm at the point where it's it's pretty quick on that side. So I'll just fill out the spreadsheet and you know, and then he'll take he'll take my numbers and then translate that onto the spreadsheet to to build out the final list. Gotcha. And then ge- geographically, are you coast to coast as, you know, one month you're hitting the Northeast, the next month, the Southeast? I mean, how, how do you determine where you're pulling data from? Yeah, most of the time, most of our deals to this point have been the East Coast, you know, New York down to Florida, that whole corridor there and a little bit, a little bit, uh, you know, west, west of those states. But I'm trying to expand our footprint. You know, I want to get into as many good areas as we can. It just, you know, I send out test mail to certain areas to see how we'll do. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the mail does well and an area starts picking up momentum. We get a, put, uh, a couple deals put together and sometimes I get nothing, you know, sending them to a particular area and it just doesn't take hold. And, and I don't know sometimes is that like our, our messaging that I hit it at the wrong time. It's it's hard to say sometimes. So it's kind of um it's you know it's kind of interesting to see which areas pick up momentum and when they do pick up momentum we start getting deals in a particular area and then we find good people to work with then we really focus on doing as many deals in that area as as we can so like agents so like you you pick up a deal yes. it's it, it, then because you do sort of need a on the ground team of people kind of i guess at least an agent right a yes company Yep, exactly. Yeah. So the people that, uh, you know, the on ground type people are, you know, land agent or broker, you know, we try to find someone that works kind of a sort of a big geographic area that makes it our life a lot easier if they can handle multiple counties and kind of a wide swath. Uh, And then also, you know, the escrow title closing company, that's, uh, that's very important as well to get to get a good company to work with. It, It makes everything so much easier. You know, we have a good company that we're working with there. Sure. Then as you as you scaled up, are you you did you start out with just self funding as you as you continue to scale your your revenue you are you relying on other funding uh, sources? Uh, yeah, I've been funding everything myself uh, with cash, and um, you know as as we scale and I do more and more deals, I know it's going to come to a point where I'm probably going to need to bring in some some private money to kind of fund these deals. And I've done a couple test things with some private lenders that I know. And, uh, yeah, so, I mean, right now I've got, I've got the, the funds sitting there and it, it, it makes sense for me to kind of use as, as much as my funds as I can. Um, but, uh, but I know as, as we build and everything like that, that that's going to become important. So it's just a matter of, you know, in this business, it's like, it's managing the cash flow, and it's hard to know, you know, cause the timing of these closings and things like that, they're so variable, you know, both on the buy side and the resale side. So I know at some point that balance is going to be off and I'm going to have to take in outside funds. But so far, it's been pretty good. You know, I have partnered on a couple of larger deals mm-hmm. and those being like uh, one of them was a 600. Uh, this was in our first year, actually. Um, it was a 650 acre property, bought it for 315,000, ultimately sold it for 595. Wow. So it was a, that was a good deal. But yeah. in that situation, brought on a what they call a funding partner. So what they did was they they 
they paid for the property and you know, they they sent the whole 315,000 in. I brought the deal. I managed the deal from beginning to end. And then when it when the property sold, we just split the profits 50-50. So it was That's good for bad. me because I had none of my own money involved and sure. you know, aside from the cost of of actually generating the deal. But yeah. and that's where funding could be a little bit squirrely. You know, most private lenders are used to flips, houses that are a little yes. bit more you know, tangible and easier to value. And hard money lenders don't want to touch just land. There's very few right. want to touch it. So yeah, you got to get a little bit more creative on that financing side. I guess. Yeah, you know, I I I've you know been putting myself out there as far as what we're doing is you know uh, in the land business and being real transparent about our numbers, all our deals, all that kind of stuff. And I've gotten connected with a couple of. Uh, you know, private money lenders or hard money lenders that have been focused on the the house business, and they've they've uh, you know reached out to me and interested in kind of getting into this land side. So I've made some good connections there, and I think some of them are willing to to dip their toes into that area. Yeah. Uh, bought a um, bought a farm recently, 150 acre farm recently, and they funded. You know, I had uh, this hard money lender. They do homes generally, but they funded seventy percent, and I just put thirty percent down. You okay. know, it was a four hundred fifty thousand dollar property, something like that. So, you know, we'll we'll see how that works out. Um, but yeah, I'm exploring different options, and I've got on my website too. Them looking for private lenders. So, sure. you know, I know people if they're looking to get like twelve percent or something like that. That might be a, a, a good arrangement. You know, sure. Well, you got the track record now too. Like you said, you're yeah. very transparent about it. It makes it a lot easier to, to find a private lender that can trust your experience. Yeah. What's your sweet spot? I mean, obviously you're you're filtering into certain areas and certain sizes and whatnot. So where do you tend to operate? I like, you know, the properties that work the best seem to be purchase prices anywhere from 20,000 up to, um, the easiest, I mean, up to 150,000, that's kind of a really good range. And, and those are really easy to, to resell, you know, yeah. if we try to double our money. So that, that's a really good kind of kind of sweet spot right now. I mean, I'll do properties above that. I typically don't do properties below that at this point, unless it's, you know, some screaming deal where I can buy it for 7,000 and sell it for 30,000 or something right. like that. Right. Uh, and those, those I've done a lot of those deals like that, but it's just like, I've also done deals where you buy it for 7,000, you think you're going to sell it for 30,000, then you end up selling it for 11,000 or something like that, which <laughs> is not a, you know, it's yeah. not a loss or anything, but it's still really not worth the time either. Yeah. Well, you know, that it brings up a good point. There are, there's some risks, inherent risks with owning land. So what are, what are some of the risks that you see and what are some of the pitfalls you've fallen into? Yeah. So. Uh, knock on wood, and and I know as soon as I say this, it's going to uh, change. But I haven't lost money on any deals, and we've done I don't know 150 plus land flips. Wow! Uh, so I, I'm very conservative about the ones I buy, and I pass on a lot of deals where where I'm not really sure on. Mm-hmm. Um, but the things that you can get caught on in this business is not evaluating the property right. You know, we've have a whole dil- due diligence process that we built up over time to kind of kind of. Uh, weed out those red flags, you know, the, those types of things that can really, you know, <laughs> mess up our property. Uh, but a couple of things that, that have happened to me uh, before have been, you know, like uh, buying a property that's small. When I say small, maybe a couple acres, yeah. and then it doesn't pass a perk test. Oh, so yeah. then it's really not a buildable property. And then since it's only two acres, really, what is the use on a property like that? Right. You know, you're not going to be able to go out and shoot guns on it or, you know, sure. do, do anything like like that because it's too small. Right. Uh, so I like that's one of the reasons I like the bigger properties, because 
even if it were determined, and we would try to make sure any of the properties that we buy are buildable. I mean, that's, that's, that's what we look for. Yep. But even if it comes back that, you know, couldn't find a good perk location or something like that, that it's at least it's a large enough that it could be a recreational property. And there's an active market for those type of buyers as well. Right. Right. That makes sense. So are you getting soil tests on everything you buy or you're just kind of hoping that for the most part, you'll be all right after the fact? Yeah, sometimes, sometimes we are. And some of the areas I've got good soil scientists we work with. So that's part of our due diligence process. We, we send over the parcel to them and they're able to look at the soil maps and stuff and say, oh, you should be good in this area. So, you know, things like that, or this is questionable. And if it's questionable, then we'll send them out to actually do the test before we, okay, before we close on the property. Gotcha. So you're giving yourself enough time to get a little bit of due diligence done before. you. Yeah. Most of the time, these closings, they take like 30 days or so. Okay. Uh, because we're going through escrow or title, you know, the yep. title process is what's holding us up most of the time. Yeah. Um, yeah, we've got a whole process. We send out a photographer for every single property to walk the property, do drone photos and videos and on the ground photos and videos as well. And, wow. you know, just a bunch of calls to the city, the county, lots of different stuff like that, that we've added to our list over time. So we're, you know, we're trying to, we're trying to avoid those things. It could be a deal killer pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, I imagine that due diligence list gets longer every month. Yeah. Every time you yeah. like bump against something, you're like, crap, I didn't think about that. Yeah. Add it to the list for the next one. Yeah. You know, like sometimes, uh, you know, and reviewing the title report's kind of a big thing too, because sometimes things will pop on the, up in the title report we had no idea of. Like, I remember one property we bought, uh, we were going to buy, actually. We didn't close on it. Uh, it came back that the property was a registered landfill back in the 50s oh my and there's no evidence of it you couldn't tell like they must have buried the trash or something like that and the owner didn't tell us anything even though he owned it forever wow. uh but it's not something like i'm not going to close on that i don't want that liability you know heck no right. well what yeah. about easements that's something i i've run into because we, we buy land around here to build on and uh even just recently we bought a property and like it wasn't anywhere but there wasn't there was an easement that wasn't even recorded it was one of those ones that was a prescriptive easement because mm. somebody just happened to drive across the property for so many years yeah but like that that'll sting you in the butt if you're not careful and know who's got you know easement access do you run into that a lot of yeah yeah that you know normally that'll show up in the title report but i'm sure sometimes that stuff is not uh not going to show up there if we see something you know like situation like that we'll look at the, we're looking at the satellite images and if we could clearly see a dirt path going through our property to someone else's then that causes us to look into that a little bit further yep. and at least know that okay they could have some sort of claim it may not be official or anything like that but but you know it could it could happen so we, we kind of price price it with that in mind i guess yeah that makes sense and, and plus we're buying these properties as a, at a really steep discount so if it's something pops up you know, generally we're still able to sell it, you know, maybe not get as much profit as we thought we were going to get, but you know, you know, we're not typically getting, getting burnt on these things. Yeah. <laughs> well, it sounds like they're turning around pretty quick too. I mean, you, I think about rural land is just sort of sitting on the MLS for months and months on end. What, I mean, what's your disposition like? Yeah. It's because they're priced too high. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's yeah. true. And everybody's like, well, I don't know why it's still, still on the market. Yeah. It always comes down to price, right? It really does. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we price things aggressively. I mean, that's the thing, you okay. know, like I, I'm not, um, you know, I, I know some, some land investors may have a different philosophy that they're trying to get top dollar from their properties that they buy. But my, my whole game is to, to move them quickly, you know, and it's got, they've got to be priced aggressively. And I, from the beginning, you know, I, I consider like a, like an aggressive price as, as the, you know, the disposition side of things. So I'm not, 
I'm not trying to get overly optimistic on what we're going to be able to sell it for. I'll try to be realistic and just sell them fast. Yeah. Yeah. Speed's the name of the game. Yeah. So just curious. I mean, obviously you're, we're looking at this amazing view in Del Mar. You've carved out a pretty awesome business for yourself. What's, what's the average day look like for you in this business? Yeah. I mean, well, I'm, I'm getting up early every morning. I get up at four 50 every morning, go to the gym, 6am uh, class that I do like a CrossFit type thing. Uh, so I do that for an hour, come back breakfast, and then I start working. Mornings are my time to kind of work, you know, communicate with my team. And I'm trying to, I'm at the point where I'm trying to um, offload most of the kind of regular day-to-day tasks to a lot of team members Yeah. So, and uh, training them and getting them up to speed on, on things that are, are kind of tedious and, and day-to-day, stuff, day-to-day stuff that I don't need to be involved with. And I'm just kind of reviewing deals at this point. Like I'm yeah. making sure that the deal's I can confirm like with our acquisition, my acquisition kind of manager that he's, uh, you know, I had my head of acquisitions that he's looking at things the same way I am. And we're kind of discussing certain due diligence things that come up and if it's a big deal or not. And ultimately mm-hmm. I decide if we're going to buy a property or not. I also negotiate the deals, you know, with the agent. So they email me and, you know, when the offers come in, I negotiate those deals. Uh, so I like that part. I've always, I've always liked that part. So that that's kind of fun to me. Yep. And, uh, you know, it's a bunch of random stuff that comes up all, all related to this business afternoon. Um, you know, just typically go for a walk with my wife or do something, do something else. And then later kind of circle back and pick up the pieces of different stuff that people are waiting on me for or whatever. <laughs> sure. Sure. You, you got so many moving parts in the business that yeah, yeah, there's no shortage of things for you to weigh in on. I'm sure. Yeah. With your acquisitions uh, team, you know, it sounds like as you're handing off more and more to them and you're entrusting them, how do you, how, what is your strategy to incentivize acquisitions? Are they getting a piece of the action? Are they just hourly, you know, a set salary? Do they do a quarterly share? Or how how yeah. do you incentivize them to make sure that they're also, you know, being mindful of the numbers? Yeah. Yeah. We do hourly and we do a bonus per deal that they get signed though and it's it's not not dependent on if it closes or not because they've really done their job if they get a deal signed mm-hmm. so and then if something pops up in due diligence that we don't like or whatever i don't like take that bonus back from them or whatever that makes sense yeah just what? seems fair to me front end, it's front end on the sign not on the back end on the net exactly yeah gotcha yeah well and so where are you finding I mean, this is very much a virtual business where where is your staff located and how are you finding these folks to hire yeah, so we're all over the place. I've got, let's see, I've got someone in Ohio, someone in Wisconsin. I've got two in Oregon. I've got uh, one in Pakistan, uh, three in the Philippines. Um, and then we've got a lot of other uh, vendors that is sort of a, a piece of the puzzle. Like I, I have a call answering service and they're they're on 24 seven and they answer the phones, you know, that they're, they're our first, our first line of, uh, you know, contact with the potential seller. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, other, other vendors and, and team members as, as uh, that are kind of extensions of our team. Anyhow, so, sure. you know, any of the escrow title and the, and the attorneys and the real estate agents and everything like that work with us as well. Gotcha. And then what was, are you just on the different websites, the freelancers of the world? Oh yeah. Where I found them of the world. Yeah. I've been, been, uh, been, uh, real successful with indeed finding, finding people on indeed try to, to okay. really, you know, write up a, a good description of what I'm looking for. And I spend a lot of time interviewing different people, trying to find the right fit. Yep. You know, I, I really come to realize over time that putting in that extra time 
during that process is is uh really really time well spent and i'm not perfect I mean, you know we, we've had you know team members that, that you know weren't weren't quite the best fit but i try to identify that as quickly as possible if it's not working try to find someone that kind of fits in with our culture i'm a happy-go-lucky guy I, i'm not the a yeller or screamer or anything like that so i want to get happy people on my team no one's it's going to be a a drag in any way and yep. people that are excited to work and friendly and you know smart people so that's yeah. kind of what we look for. Yeah. Well, especially in the acquisition side of things, like you need somebody that knows how to talk to people and and sell, right? And so that, right. that's those are important positions. Are you directly managing those folks yourself? I do. I, I do have some input. We have some regular Zoom calls and things, but I have a head of acquisitions now uh, that he kind of stepped. He was originally just uh, analyzing deals that they came that as they came in, but he's kind of grown with us and he's taken on that role of managing the acquisition uh, managers. Gotcha. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. Well, I, I know that we've got people listening to this and they're like, man, this sounds too easy. This sounds awesome. How do I get involved? Where would you, somebody that wants to get into the land game, where would you point them? Okay. Well, I've got a couple different resources. First thing would be, I've got a community that's based, that's all about land flipping. I've got lots of brand new investors in there and, and investors, land investors that have been in the game a long time and doing million plus a year. So the best place uh, to, to go to get that, that community would be to go to landconquest.com. And there's a bunch of orange buttons on that site. So you just click one of those orange buttons and it takes you right to the, our community and sign up. It's just like your name and email and stuff. It's on a separate platform. It's not on Facebook uh, or anything like that. Cool. Uh, and then within that community, I just launched a, uh, a training program, full training program about how to do land flipping A to Z, every single step of the process. I spent like countless hours on this and uh, made it uh, as professional as I spent, spent a lot of money too to make it as pro uh, professional as I could. And that's completely free, uh, located in that community as well. So, wow, um, yeah. So, and then I also do a monthly income report, and I think a lot of people might find that interesting. And basically, I break down the whole land flipping business. You know, like revenue that month, profit, each deal that we did, what we bought it for, what we sold it for, how many days we held it for, notes on each of those properties, what we learned, all that kind of stuff. So, I do that each and every month, and that uh, those are located on my website, turningprofit.com. And there's a video associated with that, which I also put on YouTube. So we've got a YouTube channel. It's called that Turning Profit. So nice, man. You it sounds like you're giving away a lot of really good resources for free. What's what's the upside for you? I'm just curious. yeah, <laughs> yeah. It doesn't make a lot of sense on the surface, but it's you know I I will I will um, make money from it because in in the way that um, I'm trying to train a bunch of you know investors to go out and find great deals. And then we'll partner together. Basically, yeah. the deal is with that is they bring the deal and then we do everything else. I fund the deal. I pay for it. Uh, and then I, my team takes over and does the whole rest of the process. And then at the end of the day, we split the profits 50-50. So uh, there's no downside for them either. If we right. if we were to lose money, there's just not, you know, there, there's no downside risk for them. No. Man, I love it. That's fantastic. For somebody that's just trying to break into this. To be able to just just source deals and then partner with you and that's that's pretty phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a win win. You know, I'd, I'd make money, they'd make money, and uh, so that that's kind of a thing. And all the mentorship program and everything eventually, but I don't have anything like that set up now. But eventually, we'll we'll do something like that. Very cool. All right, so the two websites, landconquest.com and turningprofit.com. That's it. Yep. Man, this is awesome, Pete. Thanks so much for coming on, man. Really appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me, guys. I really appreciate it.
right. Enjoy the time. You getting down to the beach today? It looks beautiful there. Uh, no. Well, maybe we'll walk down there. We'll see. I'm not much of a surfer. I'm, I'm not a surfer at all. <laughs> I think from Pennsylvania, you know. <laughs> right. But you can watch the surfers from your rooms. That's, That's right. I can. Yes. <laughs> awesome, man. Well, take care. Thank well, thanks, guys. See you. Was that good or what, Kevin? Man, that was phenomenal. What a business model. I mean, just you're working from Del Mar, you're looking at the ocean, you're spending, just going on walks, and you're just picking up millions of dollars of land every year. No big deal. Dude, the view was just it ridiculous. Was I mean, it did not look real. I mean, the first time, oh I thought it was gosh. Hawaii. It was so gorgeous. And it's just, oh, that's my, I don't think we got in the, it, that's his office, right? He just kind of turned the camera around. That's his, that's his view from his house. Talk about scaling quickly. He hasn't lived there that long, but I mean, talk about scale. You scale up to doing $3 million in uh, in land deals in a year. You're moving to Del Mar, man. That's just what you do. Yeah. Well, he, I mean, he more than doubled year one to year two, year two to year three. He's looking almost triple, more than triple. Yeah. So I this came up, but he's spending, you know, he's sending $100,000, 100,000 letters every month. That's a lot of freaking mail, man. Yeah. Yeah, that's that, a, he's that's, got a machine. He's built a machine around this land acquisition in a business. short amount of time. Absolutely. Really this short is a guy worth learning from. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and he's giving away, he's giving away this information, this education for free. That's what's even yeah. cooler. Well, and, and you don't have the complication and you reference this and flipping, like, you know, dealing with homeowners, the people who bought it from the people you're selling it to all the hidden costs and pain that you run into. It's just land flipping is a simple business. It's real yeah. plain, real simple. Yep. Yep. I love it, man. Again, if I could clone myself, have a few more hours in the day. I love land flipping. I'd be Just all over think it. Think of the chickens. Think of the chickens you could raise if you got into that's this good point. business. Kevin, that's a good point. Yeah. Chickens, Orange cows, egg. donkeys, goats. Yep. Pigs. I mean, just acquire land for the purpose of livestock. I mean, that's a business right there, right? Yeah, you should call something like that farming. I love it. I could think I could come up with some good websites. Although I do like the Land Conquest website. Did you check out a site too? It's pretty slick, I man. did. I logged into landconquest.com and thought I was in a dungeon and dragon form. The theme is amazing. The theme is amazing. It looked like uh, Rocco's Zelda. Every time I'm looking at this little Nintendo, Zelda, it's got Zelda. Right. It's very got a very Zelda, maybe Pokemon? Nah. Nah. No, definitely D &D. It's definitely more D &D. It's such, it such a cool site. It's not what I expected at all. I love it. It stopped me in my tracks. Like I was like, wait a minute. And, right and it just kind of drew me in. It was like, now nah, I just <laughs> wanted to look at more and look at more. It's like, this is really interesting. It's a free site, free education, folks. If you want to check out Pete Reese's information on land flipping, turningprofit.com and landconquest.com. Yeah, both worth visiting. I say we do this again, learning more each week. I'm game if you're game. Absolutely. Let's do all it. All right. See you next week. Friends, thanks so much for making it all the way to the end of today's podcast. If you or possibly a friend has any interest in learning more about real estate investing or opportunities with Red Barn Home Buyers, take a minute and head on over to redbarnhomes.com and check out our investors page or our franchise page, or just drop us a note. We'd love to hear from you. Can't wait to see you on the next episode of The Deal Farm.